Welcome to episode number 226, The Push for Plant-Based Baking with Ed and Natasha Tatton of Bread. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. How did meat become such a manly affair? And I think it came from this providing for your family. When there wasn't food to forage, the men would go off and hunt and bring back a beast and everyone would have food. And it was a survival strategy. But now when we look at the society we're in, what is the survival strategy? Well, it's not going out and killing everything that's running around. It's actually taking it back to the forager mentality. We have fewer resources, fewer land resources. And if we really want to provide for our families, then the plant-based diet takes up a lot less water and land than any animal-based diet. If this is your first time checking out the show, a special welcome to you. We are so happy you're here. And if this isn't your first time, welcome back. And thank you so much for tuning in every single week, every single Thursday to the show. And it's an honor to get to bring to you such incredible people and have so many inspiring conversations to learn from every week. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. We really, really appreciate it when you guys can do that because if you're getting value from it, chances are other people will as well. And your subscription and rating will help others find the show. And I also want to say big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal with your donations. And if you want to do so, that's patreon.com slash the show. And that funding goes to pay my audio engineer Roma. So thank you so much, everybody, for your contributions. So plant-based baking is definitely one of my passions. I love eating the result of the plant-based baking, but I also do a bit of baking myself and it's delicious and a great way to minimize or eliminate animal products and to make healthier choices when it comes to baking. Plant-based baking is on the rise. Did you see what I did there? And a fun fact you may not know, sourdough is actually plant-based. It's also considered a fermented food. So if you're going to grab some bread, check out sourdough bread if you haven't tried it before. And enter today's guests, the owners of the first vegan bakery in the Sea to Sky Corridor in British Columbia, Ed's Bread. I'm always fascinated to learn about the different journeys people go on to work towards optimal health. And health is a lifelong journey. And I love to hear what they do next once they start down that path. I found that once you start changing small daily actions, these new habits start to form a new identity. And with that identity often comes a slight shift in our purpose and what we believe we are capable of. Today's guests are both intriguing and are passionate about sustainable business and plant-based baking. Originally from the UK, Ed has been working in the restaurant business since the age of 13 and went to a culinary college to become a fine dining chef. Natasha is also from the UK and the two met in 2003 and soon after began traveling. After taking a snowboarding trip to Whistler, they both fell in love with the location and decided to make it their home. Ed took his passion for cooking from scratch and started making sourdough bread. And it started off as a thing to do for friends and family, but quickly grew into a business he now co-owns with his wife. 
It's called Bread, and as I mentioned, it's the first vegan bakery in the Sea to Sky Corridor. And that's right, Ed and his wife are both plant-based, and so is all of their delicious baking. And not only do they make sourdough bread, they make things like cinnamon rolls and a multitude of baked goods. And Ed found out that after he went plant-based, he was able to come off of all the heart disease medication he was on. And that is why I initially changed my diet was because I was really interested in optimizing my health through lifestyle. And there are so many different people that I've met and know and through research and all these documentaries and all of these podcast guests I've had on showing how eating a whole foods plant-based diet reverses diseases, prevents a lot of different diseases that people tend to develop in older age. And lately, people are starting to get these diseases at younger ages. The things that we eat matter. The things that we eat matter for our body. They matter for the planet. They matter for animal welfare. There are just so many reasons why adding in more plant-based foods is so powerful. And my messaging has always been that you don't have to go 100%. It's not black and white. That you can just move a little bit in one direction, start trending in that direction. And as I said a little bit earlier, once you start committing to different daily habits, your identity starts to change. You have better clarity in your life. And that is a message that I've heard over and over from people who eat all plant-based or with a predominantly plant-based diet is that they have incredible clarity in their lives and their brains start working differently. Ed and Natasha feel that their concept of being plant-based is a fresh take on the tradition of baking, as well as being a zero-food waste company with a strong emphasis on organic and locally sourced ingredients, differentiating them from other bakeries. But this conversation goes far beyond baking. We talked about baking a little bit, but primarily we talked a lot about life, about labels in society, about gender constructs, like what it means for Ed to be a man who eats plant-based and goes to yoga, we talked about journalism, we talked about meaning and purpose, and also some fine dining hacks and so much more. If you're plant curious, I have a free Facebook group called the Plant Powered Academy that everyone is welcome to join and new people are joining it every day. I also have Plant Powered Academy 1 on Instagram, that's Plant Powered Academy and the number one. In addition to my other Instagram accounts, I wanted to have a separate account for plant-based lifestyle and nutrition so that I can be really focused on that over there as well as in the Facebook group. But the Facebook group is not really about me. It's about a community. It's about people sharing ideas, recipes, challenges, and wins within the group. And it's so cool to see. Many of you have also purchased my cookbook, but I have a Plant Powered Academy cookbook available for sale at moxieandgrit.com. It is a digital cookbook, and that is M-O-X-Y and grit.com. Have you guys checked out my newsletter? I have a weekly newsletter that comes out every single Sunday, and I put a ton of time into writing my thought of the week, coming up with a question for you, and sharing the podcast of the week. My goal is to give you my very best tips and make sure that you actually see them. And it's such an honor that many of you are reading this email, that thousands of people have signed up for this. So thank you so much, you guys. It's so cool. And if you have any ideas, anything that you want me to write about, hear about, learn about, I love researching. I love tackling new topics. So just let me know. You can sign up for that at sonyaloney.com slash newsletter. All right, so let's get into today's episode with Ed and Natasha, and I guarantee that you're going to be craving some sourdough bread when it's over. Vegan sourdough bread. Wow. How did you guys start with vegan sourdough bread? So 
I wouldn't even need to put the word vegan in front of sourdough bread. It should be vegan. Like there's no need to use any dairy or eggs. I've had a few customers over the last sort of year ask me how you make bread without eggs, which baffles my mind because we've been making bread for over 6,000 years and it's always just water and grain and maybe a little bit of salt. That's all you need to make bread. You don't need any commercial yeast. You don't need any animal products at all. It's all natural. It's all fermentation. So yeah, it's just water, flour, salt, and obviously we use the best ingredients that we can. So organic Canadian grains, Vancouver Island salt, Whistler water. Yeah, most people don't realize what you just said. And some bread has lots of added stuff, like people add cheese to bread, they add just like whatever you can find. And sourdough has always been one of my favorite types of bread. And eating fermented foods is something that is on a lot of people's minds. And I think a lot of people also don't realize that sourdough is a fermented bread. So yeah, like I said, sourdough was the bread that we all ate up until about 50 or 60 years ago. There wasn't any other sort of bread. We didn't have commercially made yeast. So unfortunately, in the sort of 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s, it's just sort of like became more and more popular just to make it as fast as possible. And the average loaf of bread you buy in the store has got 25 to 35 ingredients. So not just the animal products, sugars, conditioners, preservatives. You've got to look at that. Why is that loaf of bread sitting in your <laughs> cupboard for two weeks? It's still soft. There's no mold. That's pretty scary to me. I'm like, I don't want to eat anything like that. If I can't get sourdough and it's not organic, I just don't eat bread. Yeah, totally. And so it, sorry. Everything for the supermarket is made for convenience. So a lot of people like the fact that they can buy bread wrapped in plastic, it's pre-sliced and it's still soft. But if you're actually making like the bread we make with no preservatives or additives, then we don't generally recommend that you pre-slice it because it will start to stale. But people like the convenience of taking home the plastic bag and just grabbing a couple of slices for a sandwich. But what comes at the cost of convenience is health. You know, what are these additives doing to your body over, you know, your whole lifetime of eating it? So how did you guys get into making bread? I've worked in kitchens since I was 13. So I've always been in kitchens, studied um, to be a professional chef. When I was sort of left school at 17, studied for three years to be a professional chef and then worked in fine dining kitchens and we always made everything from scratch. And then I sort of, when people ask me why sourdough, it's kind of, that's just what interested me. I sort of drank beer, was into fermentation, was into sort of, you know, preserving, fermenting vegetables and pickles and things like that. And um, yeah, just a, a previous chef just got into, we're making bread for the different restaurants. One of the chefs was like, we should make bread here. And we started learning how to make sourdough together. And that was 12 years ago. And then it just grew into more and more of a passion of mine. When we moved to Whistler, um, the restaurant I was working at, Alta Bistro, again, we made everything in-house. But we were buying in French baguettes from a hotel and uh, had a chat with the head chef. Said that we could make our own bread. We can make it organic. We can control how much we make. So it minimizes food wastage. And then that started the program of sort of making sourdough here in uh, in Whistler. Wow. And how did you guys get into 
eating plant-based and being interested in health because from my understanding, and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the fine dining food is not the healthiest. It's very like rich and like caviar or like brown butter. I, I don't know. So how did you guys mm, find, no, find that? Absolutely, yeah. For me, it sort of started obviously as a personal journey, Natasha and I, and then obviously I wanted to input that into my job. Um, and I was becoming more and more sort of uneasy at sort of cooking meat and animal products, but whatever I could do, if I could sort of introduce some good vegan options at a non-vegan restaurant, that was going to be a benefit. Also, it sort of created more of a challenge to sort of create fine dining dishes without using animal products. And I hated where you went to some restaurants and they would take off some elements of the dish. And then you were you know, left with a sort of half complete dish. Why not have a complete dish that a vegetarian, a vegan or anyone can eat? It's all inclusive and it's a complete dish. Yeah, I went to New York with my husband and we went on like a vegan food tour and there's lots of like delicious fine dining vegan and plant-based restaurants. And it seems like whenever you go to a restaurant that is like a nicer restaurant that isn't primarily plant-based, you'll order like the plant-based meal off the menu, but then it's this tiny little serving and then you have to go home and eat another meal. How did you find out about plant-based eating though? Because you're you're working with food, but like what piqued your interest with it? Like yourself, actually, I think I was at the beginning of my journey. Um, Tash and I are both sort of keen home cooks as well. You know, well, we, we I don't was eat working too much. as a raw vegan chef, so I would make lots of raw vegan food at home, and then I started to make more cooked food as well because the actually the raw vegan diet didn't actually have the best effect on me. I wasn't really used to eating raw vegan before I became a raw vegan person. So then I started eating more cooked food. But once I was on my vegan journey, I said to Ed, I don't want any animal products in the house because I'd made more of a conscious kind of awake. I'd had a sort of awakening to sort of the ethical side of animal agriculture and, and so on, the way we treat animals. And I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want, I wanted to have the home as a sanctuary to come back to. You know, it was bad enough during the day. I'd be out and about and see people eating bacon muffins and things like that. Just in my job, I was teaching English. The students' lunches were full of animal products. And it started to bother me. And I didn't want to have anything like that in my house. I wanted to go home and eat my nice vegan food in my nice vegan house. And so Ed was quite open-minded about it because being a chef, he's always had an appreciation for any food, vegetables included. And so he just kind of at first would just eat meat at the restaurant when he was tasting dishes or sometimes if he went out for a meal. But over time, he started to eat more and more vegetarian food. And I think the moment came when we were at a vegan potluck and everyone in the room was getting to know each other. It was hosted by the Whistler Vegan community. And these used to be great get-togethers way before COVID. Mm -hmm. And everyone would meet up and bring food. And I remember hearing Ed across the room. Somebody said to him, are you vegan? And he said, yes, I am. And I nearly fell over backwards when he actually referred to himself as vegan because I hadn't ever heard him say that before. But I guess it was a very gradual transition to eating more vegan food at home and then starting to eat it out and then actually identifying with that label. Yeah. And Natasha, how did you decide on raw vegan? Because that's a, for some people, that's a pretty extreme change. It is, isn't it? When you really 
categorize things when you put a label on something it then becomes you and the other but for me it was not really um a sort of black and white thing i was eating a vegan diet and i got a job in a raw vegan juice bar in whistler and i was told to come up with recipes and i had no experience of what raw vegan food was so i would go home and look at books from the library or look up uh, recipes on the internet and experiment with recipes at home and then go to work and then recreate them so i was eating raw vegan at home raw vegan at work and then i realized that my electricity bills were lower because i wasn't using the oven and i realized how energy intensive yeah the electricity is you do use a blender quite a lot but the blender i had wasn't even that good so i was doing a lot of grating and a lot of slicing up stuff and soaking stuff and i wasn't actually using the blender too much but what i found is it was cheaper it was healthier and i just kind of got really interested in it cuz i'd never really cooked like that before or prepared food like that before and then i just was eating like that all the time i think the most cooked i would ever eat would if i soaked some grains overnight and then cooked them but everything i ate with them would be raw and so i didn't really realize for a while that that was my whole diet and i was just eating a raw vegan diet or primarily raw vegan so i think when you put a label on something and say i'm vegan or i'm a raw vegan it can become very it sort of creates this division between you and then other people that maybe don't identify with that i don't know it kind of creates these divisions between people but for the most part our journey into veganism has just been very organic it hasn't been like a black and white thing like i couldn't tell you the day i became a vegan i don't have a vegan anniversary like some <laughs> of my friends <laughs> yeah that's a really uh no actually i don't i know like the year but i don't know that like there wasn't like a specific date and i actually didn't even tell anybody that i ate a plant-based diet for many years because i didn't want the label and i didn't want people to feel like i'm on the other side of what they're doing and it seems like a lot of people not I don't know if I I feel uncomfortable saying this, but I feel like a lot of people in the vegan community are exclusive and not inclusive and do have black and white views of you are the other and I'm over here. And that's not a good way of helping people feel comfortable to make changes because food is very personal and it's very emotional. And if somebody wants to join a community, but then they still have like whatever leather in their house or they occasionally eat fish or maybe every night they still eat fish and they eat or, or a steak or whatever. I think being able to have a gray area where people can feel comfortable and not necessarily need a label is important. But then at the same time, you know, the label piece is I think as long as the label doesn't become a divisive thing that can be helpful because people also are trying to change their identity in some ways, too. So it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up. How do you do that? At your um, your restaurant, how do you make sure that people feel welcome? Well, we we decided from quite early on, obviously, both of us being vegan, that the, the bakery had to be vegan. But we didn't, at, at that time, a few years ago, plant-based wasn't used as much by these big companies. Mm. And it was a bit more affiliated, more with veganism. Mm -hmm. So we actually decided to go plant-based bakery. Everyone eats plants. Like you said, we wanted everyone to feel welcome. There's no sort of like, oh, you you can't come in because you're not vegan or because you're wearing leather shoes or it was it was a community bakery. 
where we don't use, you know, we don't use preservatives. It's all, you know, whole food. It's healthy. We don't use a lot of like sugars. If we do use sugar, it's organic cane sugar, you or know, maple syrup. Or, or organic Canadian maple syrup. And it's, you know, treats that you could eat the whole thing. You're not going to get a headache because you're eating it. You know, our main focus is the sourdough. A lot of things are sourdough based, like our sourdough cinnamon buns. But we also make cookies and cakes. And we have amazing espresso coffee that's roasted in Vancouver. But then over the last year, we found this is the thing. You know, you've got these big companies like KFC and McDonald's that, that have sort of jumped on this bandwagon and have sort of the word plant-based is becoming more and more confusing. Mm. So what we're finding now is actually we are using, we're not hiding away from the word vegan and we are using it on our website, on our social media to make it clear. And we've also talked recently about sort of being vegan certified because we have customers come in they know that we're vegan. They've obviously I don't know done research. Do know. And, and they're confused. They're like, so this is vegan? And we sort of upsell them. Would you like coconut whip or marshmallows with that? And they're like, is that vegan? Or they like, say, no, I'm vegan. Yeah, it's all vegan. And we say, yeah, the marshmallows are vegan. And they go, oh. And then I, I say, do you want chocolate sprinkles on it too? And they go, no, I, cocoa powder? And I went, well, that's kind of bitter, but I've got chocolate sprinkles. And they go, I'm vegan. Okay. It's all vegan. And it's now, you know, in the beginning, I was afraid of using the word vegan because I didn't want to exclude people that don't identify with their label. Now I feel like we're almost excluding vegans because they look for that big V. And really, we need to think about getting a certification so that the vegans do actually trust us that we're not one of these companies that's, I don't know what the word would be like greenwashing or v washing i don't know what the word is but there's this yeah. word that you're kind of like we're, we're making out it's plant-based but is it 100 percent? we are 100 percent plant-based we are a vegan company but there's still work to be done in every step of the way it's more than just the food you have to look at your packaging we had a conversation last week with the paper bag suppliers to check that the glue they use is not animal based and they said we've never been asked this before hmm. and so it's having those conversations with suppliers and if we get a certification then we're going to have to put pressure on our suppliers to make sure that every component of the product is vegan you know down to the sugar has it been bone charred processed that's something we've looked at for the sugar we buy but also thinking when we buy marshmallows, when we buy chocolate chips, are those truly vegan? Because they won't put on the product that it's been processed with bone char. Hmm. And so this is something that needs to be spoken about and made the public need to be made aware of as well. Yeah, I had no idea. That's really interesting. And it's also interesting to hear your perspective as a vegan business and your perspective on like the KFCs and the McDonald's of the world, because I think that there are positive things with what they're doing because they're making it more accessible. And maybe somebody's like whatever, I don't know, Beyond Burger, whatever it is they're eating, becomes their entry into this lifestyle. But then it's hard for you when you're on the other side of things and you're trying to say, no, no, like we're, this is how we're doing things. We have values that we're trying to meet, sustainability values and ethical values and it's great to have a broad spectrum of availability for people. And like you said, it's also important to not exclude people that are the vegans, too, that really, really, truly want, without exception, to live their life that way. And that's awesome. I, I can't imagine the amount of work that that takes and the amount of detail that takes as well. 
It is interesting, isn't it, this whole massive fast food chain push for plant-based. I absolutely agree with you. We definitely need more options. And I think five years ago, nobody could imagine that McDonald's and KFC would have vegan options, right? But but then it gives you hope because then you're like, well, we want a vegan future. We want a vegan world. And people go, oh, that will never happen. Well, maybe you would have said the same thing about McDonald's five years ago, ever having a vegan option and KFC as well. So there's definitely positives there. But it's one thing I learned through Katrina Fox. She's a vegan journalist. She actually did some research and found that when you have a plant-based option in an omnivore restaurant, it actually increases sales of animal-based products because what you find is mixed groups of people will then come in and eat. Do we really want to support more animal-based sales by bringing our friends into McDonald's so we can have a vegan option? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I didn't even know about that. I'll have to check out her work. I'll put her in the show notes as well for people, Katrina Fox. She has a, a podcast, Vegan Business Media. That's awesome. So Ed, you had some heart problems in the past. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, in a way, they're still ongoing. It's something that needs to be kept an eye on. It's quite a common heart issue. I was born with a heart murmur. Hmm. Um, so it's been monitored all my life. But I had various small operations when I was younger. And they always knew that they would have to fit a stent, which they thought originally would happen when I was 19. But I went away traveling and sort of lost my connection with my specialist a little bit for a few years, but then around 25, 26, I'm 35 now. So about 10 years ago, I had a stent fitted in my aorta because basically it's the shrinkage of your valves, which therefore can give you a high blood pressure. So after I had that stent fitted, it's just sort of keyhole surgery. It's basically a spring that they put up and they open the spring up in your aorta and it just you know opens up the valve so the blood can flow easier and sort of put less stress on the arteries and obviously your heart and other organs and then they sort of put me on medication for that and every time I seem to see the specialist over about six month period they seem to be increasing it more and more until I was almost on the the max dosage you could be on which didn't really sit with me well you know he came back from the hospital with 12 pills a day yeah so it was it was it was creeping up and creeping up and just taking you know tablets isn't very it's not an enjoyable experience but the main thing was that that i said said to the specialist do you have any sort of research to say how this will affect me in 50 years time Mm -hmm. i've got grandparents that both lived you know into their hundreds so in my mind, I'm like, right, I'm going like long game here. Like, 120, I'm here I come. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, on a plant-based diet, it's definitely achievable. <laughs> so that's sort of like started the wheels in motion. We moved to Canada. Obviously, in Whistler, it's a very sort of active lifestyle. Um, started sort of doing yoga most days, eating healthier. Like obviously, Tash turned vegan before me, but we were eating a lot of vegetables. And then these documentaries, you know, start watching these, not just about the animal activism, that really sort of struck a chord and the environmental side, but it selfishly, I was looking at the health side. I was like, okay, how can this, you know, cutting out dairy was the first thing to go. Obviously, milk, butter, cheese, terrible for your arteries. So cut that out first. And then, like Tash said, occasionally I would eat meat and fish at restaurants, saw a doctor in Whistler. And said, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing doing yoga, eating healthier. 
I want to come off this medication. She was like, right, let's just do it slowly and see how we go. So it was a process of about three to six months, pop back, see her. She'd take my blood pressure. You know, it wasn't just like stop taking them. And after about, you know, a couple of visits, she said, okay, like whatever you're doing, it's working. So let's keep going with it. She didn't really want to comment. You know, I was like, oh, by this time, I was like pretty much vegan. Mm-hmm. And and since then, I've had checkups in Vancouver, you know, with more extensive testing, stress tests where they put you on like a, a treadmill and monitor your heart rate, you know, and it's they increase the speed and the incline, mm-hmm. which is pretty difficult with a face mask, I must say. <laughs> it was a recent one during COVID times that was the extra test, you know, to sort of be on a running machine with a face mask. It's pretty tricky. Anyway, it, the long story short, you know, I'm healthier and healthier. They say I've got a strong heart, no medication. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, basically. It's, should probably cut down on the amount of beer that I drink, but it's plant-based. So <laughs> You're it's English. Okay. It's exactly, <laughs> and it's vegan beer, so it's okay. Wow, so you went from taking 12 pills a day to zero. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. And what so did your doctor say? Did you say that this is what I'm doing, or did they say whatever you're doing, just keep doing it? Yeah, they don't really want to comment. I've, I know there are a few vegan doctors mm-hmm. in Vancouver that I would be interested to see, you know, get more extensive testing done. And I kind of also wish now that I had my test results pre-vegan and now, just as a comparison, that would be kind of nice. I probably could reach out to my specialists in the UK and get that data because it would be good, you know, to see 10 years ago and to see now, you know, you would expect, you know, a 25-year-old to be a lot healthier than a 35-year-old. But we all know we've seen these, you know, like muscle men in the States, you know, that are sort of bodybuilding in their 50s. So (laughs) who knows? Yeah. And for people listening, if you want to find like a vegan doctor or a doctor with plant-based nutrition, you could go to PCRM. I think it's .org to find one in your area. But yeah, it's a very interesting conundrum because I'm sure people who have been listening to the plant-based podcast know that many medical practitioners do not have nutrition training. And recently I had um, Dr. Shaw and Brenda Davis for their book, Nourish. And Dr. Shaw is a pediatrician. And she also informed me that most pediatricians don't have or have very limited nutritional training and they're giving nutritional information and advice for young children. So that's something to keep in mind. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? The skepticism or even just the the lack of commenting whenever you go to a doctor that doesn't understand the nutritional benefits and the, the health benefits of eating a plant-based diet. And they almost are like afraid to touch that. And I had a family member who changed her diet and dramatic improvement, you know, lowering thyroid medication, blood pressure came down, like all these different things. And the doctor just basically discounted it and said, no, it, it can't be your diet but it is 100% her diet. So it's just really interesting. It's pretty scary, to be honest. I think I heard a fact before, I don't know if it's true, but out of five years or six years of training, they touch on about two weeks of nutritional sort of advice and sort of training. And it's just scary that anyone, you know, would just take their doctor's word for it, really. I definitely think it's worthwhile exploring plant-based and seeing how it affects you because... Mm -hmm. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to be a negative. So why not give it a go? Like you said, like no one's, there's very few people that just go vegan overnight. Yeah. So why not, you know, try it two or three times a week and see how it makes you feel when you wake up in the morning and you don't 
feel bloated or groggy or anything like that. You've got a clear mind. There's so many benefits to it. Why wouldn't you just give it a go? And then maybe you could just increase that. Like they always say meatless Monday. Why not do meat Monday? You know, flip it on its head and do it the other way and go, you know what? I'm going to try plant-based six days a week and maybe I'll treat myself with whatever you, you like to treat yourself, you know, one day a week. Like, unfortunately, if the world ate, you know, a lot less meat and it was, you know, a special occasion once a year for Christmas, we wouldn't be in the environmental situation that we are. But we're there and we need to, in, a, in our mind, we need to take, make a drastic sort of change in the way that we do eat. Yeah, if people haven't watched the new David Attenborough documentary, it's he's 90, I think he's 94, and he's like talking about as a naturalist the changes that he's seen over the course of his life and how much mm. less of species there are, how we're causing a mass extinction. So I highly recommend people check that out because, man, just even reducing, like you don't have to cut it out completely, just reduce it and you'll make a huge, huge difference. If everyone reduced even by like 5%, it would make a massive difference. But I think the reason why people don't want to make changes is, number one, the community aspect that we were talking about before. Like, what if they're the only one and, you know, they're that weirdo yeah. in their family? And my husband and I were certainly those weirdos in the family and even our, our nieces and nephews, which I actually love this, but they're like, Uncle Matt and Auntie Sonia are the healthy ones. Like, we're like the weird, like, granola-y people. Um, and the other reason is because people are afraid the food isn't going to taste good. They're like, I don't want to give up my, my cheese or my meat because I love my food and and Ed, like as a fine dining chef and somebody who probably had an identity around that, like mm-hmm. you can you can speak to how good you can make food. Like, do you have any tips for people or, or things like that? So one thing, like it's a really simple thing, but a lot of people when they get like a tomato soup or something, you know, in restaurants, they put a bit of creme fraiche or cream. They drizzle that in the top because it just adds like, you know, the creaminess, the texture to the soup. But what we actually found myself and my head chef at the time when we were experimenting, if you use like cashew nuts, you get exactly the same consistency. But the amazing thing is it doesn't coat your taste buds. So you get that creaminess, the velvetness. Actually, you get more flavor, more nutrition because, you know, you can make a cashew cream with cashews, water, lemon juice, garlic, nutritional yeast, which is an amazing ingredient to use on a vegan diet. It gives you so much nutritional value. So you can blend that up really simple, really quick. And you can use that for a whole host of things. Like you make it a bit thicker. You can use it as a cheese on pizza. You can use it as a pasta sauce. You can use it as a, you know, thin it down, add some tahini, more lemon juice and make it like a salad dressing. So cashews are, are definitely, I mean, they get a lot of like bad press because of the way that they're sourced and everything. But there's definitely other options that you can use. We use oats a lot. Now we recommend oat milk with our coffee for the same reason it's actually a creamy texture and you get the full flavor of the coffee and it's you know they're grown here in canada we use earth's own uh, barista blend which is a great vancouver-based company they're gluten-free oats they're sustainably grown they're not like almonds where they take a huge amount of water so there's definitely like different options that you can that you can use there but yeah i definitely found it hard going vegan i feel like there's a lot less men that are vegan it's Mm. almost seen like oh no that's what that's what girls do that's what that's you know quite a feminine thing in a way but i kind of overcome that when i started going to yoga you know it's Mm. the same sort of thing even in whistler where you would expect it it's very sport town like it's it's essentially stretches and 
looking after your body. Most yoga classes that I would go to, it would be myself, maybe one other guy. So I feel like once you just get over that and it's like, well, actually, I like it. It tastes good. It's good for my body. Then you can kind of set an example. And I feel like I've also like, I don't really, I'm six foot three, so I'm not too worried about what people, if people think that I'm just like this little weedy, weedy guy that's like on a plant-based diet, so he's not that healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting, the the gender construct conversation applied to yoga and also to plant-based nutrition. People are very surprised when they find out that my husband is the one who introduced me to plant-based eating. And yeah, it's just, it's interesting because, I mean, women who are in male-dominated situations or, or male-dominated industries, like I have my master's in engineering and like I'm in cycling, those are two very male-dominated places and mm. no one's saying like, oh, you're you're like a masculine girl. Like you shouldn't be in there. You're weird because you're in there. It's more like the trying to be treated equally as a female. But if you're a male going to doing, quote, female dominant activities now, like there's a different label put on you, bringing back our conversation of labels. And mm-hmm. it's the conversation mostly around gender is about, you know, women or transgender for men, there's not a lot of conversation around masculinity and feeling comfortable doing different things. And like, what does masculinity even mean? And just th- this is just something that's been on my mind because I have a son and trying to say, okay, like, it's okay for men to do yoga. Like, it's normal. It's okay for men to eat plant-based. It's okay for men to show vulnerability. And I think mo- like what you're doing, leading by example and modeling what it means to be a man for you is awesome. And mm-hmm. it's going to open the door for other men to feel comfortable in that area too. Yeah. And I, I think like that, even the way they brand, like this sort of certain brands like McDonald's or Burger King or these sort of like, you know, the whole barbecue, if you barbecue, you're a real man, you know? So I feel like there's a lot of advertising, social media can get certain like character, like especially the younger generation, like we're in our mid thirties, we grew up, pre-internet it's a very different upbringing where you sort of like feel a bit more secure in yourself mm. maybe I don't know something I can't I can't generalize obviously but I think it's it's harder for the younger generation now because they've just got it coming from all these different feeds what you need to look like and what you need to be like you get these beautiful airbrushed models men and women and this is what the typical person mm. should look like and I think it is very difficult to find yourself and like feel comfortable in your own skin. I think also we can explore the root of these issues. Yoga, why is it perceived as a feminine thing to do? The Ashtanga practice is very rigorous and was originally taught to men in India. But it's the advent of big yoga legging brands, the Lycra brands, who have feminized it to where men don't feel like they have a place in a room full of girls in tight booty shorts or whatever they want to wear. That wasn't really how yoga started out. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And with the plant-based and the meat-eating meat, I've always found it interesting that barbecue is such a manly affair when we all know it's the easiest way to cook (laughs) and the most forgiving you know, like you just put it in a, on the grill and when it goes black, it's cooked. <laughs> I mean, compared that to the stereotypical feminine things to do, like bake a cake, 
do you know how hard it is to bake a cake? Like most of my cakes in the past, I shouldn't say this, I own a bakery, but I've had a lot of blunders where the, the top sinks. And once it does that, there's no going back. You know, it's all about precision. You have to weigh everything. All these recipes with cups, they're inaccurate. You need to have it down to the gram for it to That's be. What she leaves it to me, just <laughs> just for your listeners, like, you know, reassurance. <laughs> Cash has got a lot of, like, specialist things that she does at the bakery, but I'm the baker. So, so she's the chief taste tester. So then you look at, like, how did meat become such a manly affair? And I think it came from this providing for your family when there wasn't food to forage, the men would go off and hunt and bring back a beast and everyone would have food. And it was a survival strategy. But now when we look at this, the society we're in, what is the survival strategy? Well, it's not going out and killing everything that's running around. It's actually taking it back to the forager mentality. We have fewer resources, fewer land resources. And if we really want to provide for our families, then the plant-based diet takes up a lot less water and land than any animal-based diet. So that's actually the modern manly thing to do is to actually be plant-based. Not to mention uh, <laughs> the old blood flow to the nether regions. <laughs> that's, that's pretty manly. Yeah. <laughs> Many benefits to the plant-based diet. Good for the man. <laughs> <laughs> and for the lady or, you know, other man or whatever your relationship is. Everyone's a winner. So speaking of, uh, speaking of, let's talk about running a business as a team, as a husband and wife, because mm -hmm. some people are, you know, some relationships that work well together in that regard. And other people say, well, I would never want to work with my spouse. So how do you make mm -hmm. that work? Like what, do you have any like tips for working with your spouse? Well, it's funny you say that because I, I pushed away from that for years and years. Tash sort of like, I'd always dreamt of owning, you know, a restaurant from a young age worked in these really posh fine dining kitchens in Australia New Zealand and in the UK. So when I moved to Whistler, the idea of sort of getting a job more in a smaller farm to table restaurant, where if I was to open somewhere, that's where I would do. So I sort of got a job at Alta Bistro, locally owned, amazing like head chef. We used all the local farms. It was a really good restaurant for me to work at. And I worked there for five and a half years. Hmm. And we actually started bread through the restaurant so i rented the kitchen and it was a small facebook business so it started just cooking like baking loaves for friends and people at the yoga studio and it started 30 loaves a week and then built to 50 and 100 and i just rented the, the kitchen wednesday morning and a thursday morning so it makes all the bread then it proves overnight in the fridge and then baked it on the thursday and it was a great way to meet the community and build this rapport and moving market research. So we didn't jump into opening a bakery straight away. It's the, the, the short story, basically. We did almost like a farmer's market style, minimum sort of input, tested it out. We didn't spend loads of money on equipment and things like that. A few thousand dollars just to get going. And then that sort of after about a year or so, we were starting to outgrow the equipment. And we were both sort of, you know, firmly on our, our vegan journey and thought, okay, now we're permanent residents in Canada. We can stay here, you know, potentially for forever. And let's start building a future. And that's where the idea of sort of opening a bakery came about. And like Tash said, like our vegan journey, it was just very organic. We didn't sort of like go, okay, let's going to open it. Just sort of almost the customers were telling us you should open a bakery which sort of got the got the ball rolling. You know, there's only there's a few bakeries in Whistler, but no one vegan. 
and no one specializing in sourdough. And he uh, loved making sourdough and I wanted to do something that would have a bigger impact because I was volunteering at some environmental organizations, but I wanted to do something that would reach further. And I wanted, I had a kind of vision for opening some sort of vegan cafe. So mm-hmm. I like to say that the veganism, the vegan diet gave Ed clarity and he believed that he could work with his wife. <laughs> ultimately, all you have to do is define your roles so yeah. he's chief of operations. So he kind of runs, he's in charge of the shop and all the manufacturing of the bread, the products. And I take care of sales, finance, HR, marketing, things like that. So I'm more front of house. And I think having your defined roles and departments mm-hmm. and understanding that in, if we're in the shop and there's like a product question then ed is the one that's ultimately going to take charge of that although i can have input it's good to have like this is your decision making role and then i have other decision making roles things like uh, staff benefits and things like that so we have our defined roles and you try not to step on each other's toes and obviously you listen to input from the other one but it's good to have that and if you have that then i think it's easy to move forward And then when it comes to taking work home with you, there's pros and cons. Because if you work with your partner, then you're going to talk about work at home. We do. We spent a two-hour hike once refiguring our cinnamon bun recipe. That's just life. You just have to accept that. The hike was beautiful. The cinnamon buns have been even better since that And you were starving on the hike talking about cinnamon buns. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think Tash did a lot of listening. It was kind of just figuring out the recipe, the method and things like (laughs) that. The drooling. We take it home a lot. But the disadvantage is if you didn't, if one of you was involved in the business and the other one wasn't, then it would be hard to relate to what the other person's going through. And, um, you know, maybe they would keep it all pent up inside of them. That cinnamon bun recipe would never get worked out and would just become really stressful. So I think there are pros and cons to working together or not. But essentially for us, it works. So I think if you believe in the concept and you both have, you know, that equal belief mm-hmm. and you're both like we're both financially invested in it. We sold our house in the UK. And plus, we had to take out, you know, extra loans. So financially, we have a lot on the line. But that almost drives us to achieve what we want to achieve. We didn't we didn't really open up a bakery. You don't really get into small hospitality businesses to make huge amounts of money. For us, in a way, is this sort of slight activism. The mission. We, the mission that we can come in and we can make, you know, a bit of an impact on people and maybe just be that trigger. Be like, like you said earlier, vegan food actually can taste amazing, like any other food. Like yeah. you don't have to sacrifice anything. And I feel like we are a very modern bakery. People come in and they're like, they don't even realize because it is all sort of newly built, new equipment up to date some people in their mind they think of a vegan bakery you know so you're going to walk in and there's going to be like a dreadlocks and you know like incense burning and- yeah but ed does wear birkenstock sandals in the kitchen so um there's still a little bit of that if that's what you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> they're vegan birkenstock and they're really comfortable they're good for your backs <laughs> <laughs> dang you sound like an old man <laughs> But I, wear, but I wear socks just so it keeps it like clean, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I think it's just the mission is really to make plant-based eating more accessible, mm-hmm. which when we first came up with the mission a few years ago was quite forward thinking. Nowadays, thankfully for the vegans, the plant-based market is booming, as we know. 
I know um, statistic that last year, one in four new food products in the UK was vegan or made a vegan claim. So that's awesome news. But it, for a vegan business, it does mean that you have to differentiate yourself even more mm. and be even more interesting than the next vegan business. You know, we say we are the only vegan bakery in the Sea to Sky Corridor. Hopefully one day we will be the original vegan bakery in the Sea to Sky Corridor because there'll be lots of others, you know, lots of other vegan everything. So having that mission definitely helps you, you know, if you ever have a hard day or an argument, you come back to why are we doing this? Oh, that's why. And then it's easy to go forward. Also, we're very lucky. We have a really good team like the my assistant baker and our barista have been with us since we opened. So I feel like those guys are key. Like if you have good staff, you need to look after them and keep them for as long as you can. So, you know, we try and have a lot of incentives. We do sort of staff hikes and trips and things like that to keep them motivated. But I just feel like they're along with the journey with us. They're yeah. both vegan. Chantelle, our barista, she was, she's been vegan longer than us. So we obviously attracted her because she has the barista experience. But for her, it's like that's sort of like Tash said, the mission and the values that we hold. She really, you know, comes along with us on that. And Flynn's my baker. He's been vegetarian since he was a baby pretty much his parents are vegetarian and since working for us has just moved more towards a, a vegan diet as well so the same way our sort of values keep him interested and it is a sort of different bakery that he can he can work with yeah i mean it sounds like meaning and purpose are being met for you through your work and it's it's deeply fulfilling yeah. and i think many people are walking around trying to figure out what brings my life meaning and what gives me purpose in my yeah. life. And it doesn't always have to be your job. And, you know, we're both fortunate that we are able to intertwine those two, but being able to figure out what it is that, that brings meaning and then chasing that instead of chasing something like dollars. And certainly it's okay to make money or to make even a lot of money, you know, doing something that is fulfilling your values and gives you meaning. But I feel like we should be I mean, we're, it's a privileged place to say we should be chasing meaning first because we live in a privileged society. But I think if more people were coming alive in whatever they're doing because they feel fulfilled, it would, it would change the way that the world feels and the way that the world operates. And again, certainly that is coming from a place of privilege to say that, but it's something that I think about a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you say coming from a place of privilege. I think even if you have a job that you is unskilled you can still perhaps look for a company that does good things to work for instead of working for a company that doesn't I think you can still find some small nugget of something that's aligned with you even if you feel like you're lower down the economic spectrum mm -hmm. of things yeah yeah like if you're on the bus to work but you'd like to have said you're you're going to work for a company that does amazing things for the world every day or for a charity for humans, you know, there's definitely, um, you can help in, in a small way. And that's what you need. You need mm. individuals really. It starts with that. Or just looking after your neighbors or things like that. You know, you can find meaning in small ways. You know, like I set up a Facebook group during the pandemic for my neighbors in our apartment block. Mm. And um, I just put straight on the group, like this is a nice place to support each other you know, no calling each other out for bad behavior and whatnot. This isn't the place. And everyone in the group's been super nice. We all like, you know, when we didn't want to go to the store, when the lockdown was on, 
for a small item, we would just say, hey, has anyone got an onion? And someone would drop it off to your door. And people would be like, hey, I've got this extra such and such. Does anyone want it? And do you know what? I'm just going to tell you this story because it really made me feel it was bittersweet. I get a delivery of groceries from Spud. It's a grocery service in Vancouver. And they didn't deliver any of my fresh produce, none of my mushrooms, my cilantro, my veggies. What I got was a box, a massive, massive bottle of cow's milk and beef bone broth, which are the worst thing to deliver to a vegan. And Spud won't take it back because it's refrigerated, so it's a too high risk. So then they tell me I have to find someone that wants it. So I put it on my neighbor's group. Does anyone want this huge mammoth bottle of organic cow's milk? Must have cost a bomb. And nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it in the whole building. I was just like... Well, that's kind of nice because that means nobody wants the cow's milk. But then I'm like, oh, but, you know, food waste that, you know, we've got all this food. And eventually one of my neighbors said, I'll take it. But it was because no one else would. And I kind of thought that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That like, you know, the habits have shifted that no one really wants mm. to drink cow's milk anymore. But you, if we have any bread left or cinnamon buns, they're gone within 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. having any of that be left over. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, it's we, not uh, very often. It's not very often, but if we do take it back to our apartment block, our yeah. neighbours are, are, yeah, they're very happy to take it. Yeah. And Natasha, you you made a really good point. So, you know, finding meaning and purpose can be outside of your job, and oftentimes it means outside of yourself as well. It means helping another person, and that's something that I think is really important, and something that we often forget is the more stressed we get, the more we start looking like shrinking almost. And, Mm -hmm. you know, during COVID times, I'm sure people felt this way. We're like scared in our homes. We like don't, we start losing contact with people or in our lives when we get really, really busy with work. Like the first thing to go are our social relationships for lots of different people. And those are the things that hold us together when all is said and done. And at the end of the day, like when we look back at our lives for meaning and purpose and, and, and what makes you feel good, it's those relationships and doing things for other people. But whenever we get stressed, that's the first thing to go. So that's something that I remind myself of, because I certainly have taken for granted relationships in my life too. Yeah, I think being of service is one of the best ways to find meaning in your life, you know. So, and then going back to what you were saying about making dollars, I've also noticed in the vegan space and the sustainability space, some entrepreneurs are worried about making money as though it's unethical and seen as bad. And I really want to like put it out there that if you're not a profitable business, then you're not going to make any impact because you're going to be dead in the ground way too early. And you're not going to be a model for other businesses either because they'll look at you and they'll go, yeah, they tried that sustainability thing. It doesn't work. So we are a for-profit company, but not in the way, as Ed said, that we're sitting around rolling loads of dollars, not at all but to ensure the long-term, the longevity of our business so that we can make a bigger impact. And that's what we're looking for to the future, to getting our vegan certification, our B Corp certification, and then being able to support more animal organizations like rescue centers and things like that. That's what we're looking to do in the future. We won't be able to do any of that if we don't make a profit. So just want to put it out there to anyone listening. Don't be afraid to make money as long as you're making money for the right reasons. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Awesome, you guys. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, Where can people find you and where can people get your bread and cinnamon rolls? (laughs) 
Well, the shop's called Bread. It's in Creekside. Uh, you, we're the only bakery in town that you can ski or snowboard to. We're also on the Valley Trail, so you can bike or hike. You can get a bus. You can got free parking as well for your electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you want to find us, edsbread.com is the website. That's E-D-S-B-R-E-D.com, edsbread.com. And for your listeners, if they want to come and try our stuff for the first time, they can use the discount code Sonia Looney. That will give them 15% off their first order. And you can order online and then come and pick it up. Just tell us when you're coming. It's all in the email that you get. So that's a nice way to reach us. And we're on Instagram. Yeah, so the the website we set up during COVID, like Tash said, so we've got an online shop now. So it's great for people outside of Whistler that want to make sure that they, you know, get the items that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's not got the whole menu on there, but it's definitely got the sort of staples and the most popular items. And then, yeah, social media, if people want to just peruse and look at some like nice baked items or send us a message, I generally look after the Instagram account. So if someone's got, you know, a home baker, Ed's underscore bread, so E-D-S underscore B-R-E-D, and they can, yeah, follow us. We're pretty like active on Instagram. So I like to sort of, if people have a quick question, or want to send me a, a private message, they can do that. And then also through Facebook, which is bread slash organic sourdough. I think it's bread hyphen organic sourdough. Mm-hmm. We'll put it in, so, the notes, yeah. in the show notes. But yeah, it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of different things people can ask you guys about. We, we covered a wide variety of topics on mm-hmm. the podcast, and it was, it was really fun to get to dig into some different topics with you guys. So thanks so much. Yeah, it's thanks, Sonia. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. We covered a lot of really interesting topics and make sure you check out edsbread.com. And again, you are more than welcome to join my Plant Powered Academy Facebook group where we can share ideas, build community and surround ourselves with people who are interested in positive lifestyle and habit change. We'll see you next week. Remember that I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure and our mission to be better every day.